Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Trevor Gorham, Miguel Marquez Garcia, Manuel Medele, something like that. Uh, uh, we're at Vino Veritas in Portland. It's November 10th, 2020. Thank you guys all so much for joining us here today. Uh, first question for each of you, one of you can start, is uh, why wine? Because it's delicious. First of all. First off, yeah. <laughs> Do we mention the buzz as well? <laughs> um, I'm happy to start, actually. Um, so first of all, it's great to uh, mention that we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different nationalities. So this is pretty much where we met in Portland. Um, this is probably like, we'll talk about that later, come up in detail. Um, I'm originally from Italy. That's where I was born and raised. And I moved to Portland in 2017. Uh, prior to that, I traveled for many, many years. But um, I started approaching wine in high school. The system is a little different back at home. So at high school, I went to hospitality school where we pretty much had like, or like went to high school pretty much in a hotel. So you had a reception, you had dining rooms, you had kitchens. So pretty much like you experienced all of that as a student um, till we're like 19 years old. After that, I went for my sommelier in 2012, 2011 and um, yeah, I was able to get the inside of wine pretty much how deep and how complex it actually is. And what really got me into wine was like traveling around and seeing wine countries from like New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, uh, the US, Canada, and so on and so on. And it just actually really got to show me that there's so much in it and there's so many opportunities, not just like as a wine steward, as a sommelier, as a sales rep, uh, organizing events. It just pretty much is a service, is a quality, is happy moments for people. Um, from like vineyard side working to high-end restaurants, high-end hotels, it just really opened up a lot of doors to me. And um, I was very close to become an engineer, actually. And I'm happy I'm not, because this is um, much more fun and much more diverse. And you can like talk or like work with fellows like those, and you're not um, calculating numbers in front of the computer all day. That so makes, that makes so much more sense. I, you know, <laughs> not that I, not that I mind numbers, but. Um, there's a deeper, uh, there's a deeper approach with wine. There's much more that goes into wine that, uh, to me than a lot of other topics. I see um, my wife, I see relatives, all the family members. They're in different industries, and while they might be in great industries for them, I just feel like you can express yourself in wine. You can really like take it to a new level. You are in charge of where you want to be with wine. One part is the education. One part is the opportunities from blind taste to events, to pairing events, to featuring a wine country, and so on and so on. So really that expression of yourself and that never ending potential in wine and uh, different layers is what really attracted me, wine. And I don't really see ever switching industry. So that is pretty much a brief why from my end. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, well, I mean, again, the white wine. It's a little bit more of a, to me, it's a little bit more of um, activism. Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, I, I went to culinary school as well. I, I, my family owns a restaurant in Mexico since 1961. Uh, we're about to turn 50 years. Yeah, 50 years. Um, so pretty much I was born into the industry. Uh, then I went to culinary school. I got a, 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 a restaurant management uh, degree. Uh, and off I went. I got a, a job in uh, Walt Disney. I worked there in Florida for one year. And then I moved around. I, I got a job in uh, Aspen, Colorado as well at Little Nail. Uh, I went back to Mexico before that. I got a minors in uh, groups, conventions, and uh, weddings, and uh, kind of like just like mass, mass tourism, mm -hmm. mass, mass, mass products, I would say. Um, got a job in Aspen, uh, moved to Vermont, and moved to Texas, and then uh, Trump got elected and that point it made it made me realize what I was doing what was my impact as an immigrant and due to his uh, the way he speaks his rhetoric uh, I, I just I don't know I couldn't sit down and just kind of like am I really not putting anything to this community so I looked back into wine I've always been uh, um, exposed to wine since college at least uh, my the the I think we all perceive life through through, through our senses, right? Sometimes people are more visual, some people who like to touch stuff, some people like to smell stuff, and I think that that's something that has, along, has gone along the way through my life with that, like I've always experienced through my nose. Uh, so being able to be that intimate within own, my own personal experiences and being able to be eloquent about it with all these things that I was happening with Trump and all that stuff, I was like, I wanna be an uh, agent of change. Uh, I, I discovered that wine, it, it can be fun and it can be delicious, but it can be also be politics, it can be also history, it can be uh, wellness, it can be a lot of things. So I, be, I, I wanted to become someone that people would be like, oh, you're an immigrant and you know all this? Kind of like to change, to change uh, the, the, the perspective of, 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 of the adult, right? And wh why wine? Because I think that all this conversation that I'm talking about is kind of like dry. And sometimes, grown up, don't people have time to slow down and check all this? But when you put alcohol in the mix, then they listen, and then it becomes an experience, and it 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 becomes a little bit more didactic, you know, like it's just a hands-on experience thing. And it's kind of like reminding people that we can we can have fun, and we can I don't know, there's just a lot of things in wine that that, mm -hmm. that inspire me to keep studying. Cool. Um, yeah, without going too much into my, my past, I think wine is one of the few industries where you can study history, you could study culture, you could study agriculture, you could study law, business, um, holistic health, politics, uh, you know, chemistry, a whole bunch of different wide spectrums of you know, different practices like go into this one product, um, you know, and, and for me, it's like I'm, I'm able to study a little bit all of that and kind of showcase my knowledge through that. So it's not like, hey, I'm learning to be a doctor. It's like all medical stuff and chemistry and biochemistry. It's like it's a little bit more defined, whereas I feel like wine is a little bit more like open ended. You can get a little bit of everything. 
and uh, share your knowledge that way. And that's what I love so much about it, and that's why I pick wines because it's not one directional and it's not stale. It's always changing uh, year to year, vintage to vintage, styles, producers. Um, you're always on your toes, and it's so in depth that you never like can stop or want to stop. It's like a giant rabbit hole, as we all are pretty familiar with. Um, one thing you like, you think you know something, and then you kind of stick your nose to a book, and you're like, oh, I had no idea. Um, that is kind of my reason for wine in itself. Uh, the industry is, man, there's so many different facets to it. You can kind of really experiment with what you want to do with wine. You know, do you want to do the business part? Do you want to do the agriculture part? You can really hop around and share a little bit of that. Um, what I like working here is you can tell everyone's story. You know, you know, if I'm a winemaker, then I'm really focusing on the chemistry and that stuff. But what we're doing here at Vino Veritas is you can share everyone's stories, including our own, uh, in one spot. And so you're always changing, moving around. Mm -hmm. so take me through for each of you, kind of your, your, the process of once you decided to become a psalm, uh, of pursuing that kind of the, that the education and the knowledge to become a psalm, and then eventually what brought you all to Oregon? Let's go back, we can go back to you, Trevor, if you want. Yeah. Uh, so I guess when I was a kid, um, I experimented with cooking food at my mom's like demise, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I was always experimenting with dishes and like you know playing around with different flavors, and I loved going to restaurants and just sitting down and watching the machine run, quote unquote you know, the servers, the kitchen, like the chefs moving around and it was so fascinating to me. Um, and I, I loved it. And so I, when I was in like high school, I, I made it my goal to become a chef when I grew up. Um, and I kind of thought a little bit more about it as I was going through high school and I was like, okay, well maybe I want to get a restaurant, you know, management degree. So I went to San Francisco State and I uh, got my um, bachelor's in hospitality and tourism with the emphasis on restaurant management. And while I was working there, I was uh, working as a banquet cook um, for four years. And within that time period, I was like, holy shit, excuse me, this is really tough work. Like, there was one time where I got in trouble by my executive chef, and he brought me into his office, and he was like, hey man, like, if you are gonna work like this, like working really slow, there's no way you're gonna get to like $50,000 a year. And I was like, yes, chef, I'm sorry, chef, like I'll work faster. And I left and like I put my head to the cutting board and just chopped away. And then later that day I was like, man, it made him seem like $50,000 was like a pinnacle, you know? <laughs> and I was kind of thinking, I was like, man, I don't know if I could do this like for that kind of money. <laughs> That's just like tough work. And I started like, you know, kind of thinking about my future around that time. And I was like, well, I'm, you know, wine seems like a pretty fun thing. So after that experience, I graduated college, left that job, and I made it my goal to get into the wine industry. And I was applying for various positions and 
knew a little bit about wine at the time, and I came across this one uh, retail shop called the Spanish Table, and they're pretty famous for their sherry selections, like within the country. And I went in the interview, and like the interview went well, and at the end they were like, okay, so you know about like Tempranillo, Grenache, like all these grape varietals and wines. I was like, yeah, totally. Like I had a bottle last night, and had no idea what Tempranillo was at the time. <laughs> And I like left that interview and quickly Googled what Tempranillo was. Um, and somehow I got the job as an assistant wine buyer with no experience in wine. <laughs> and three years of that, I you know, obviously learned and studied and I pursued my sommelier degree or certification um, because it was just so much fun. Just tasting wines, that was your job you know, experiment, like doing new things as kind of mentioned before. And from there, I kind of realized I didn't know much about winemaking. Um, so I went to Oregon and worked at a winery. I don't know if you want me to get into like my present tense yet. Back to that. <laughs> okay. All right. How did I get into wine? Uh, well, again, I think it's a little bit of that activism. I was just thinking about how, how I think that education is one of the things that we're lacking in this society. I don't know how, to what degree, but I think that uh, that's why there's a lot of uh, dissonance of how we, how, who we say we are and how we actually are, right? Uh, so going down the lines of like, what's my, what's my, my impact in the society? I wanted to be impactful on the cultural side. So by sharing stories from other places, um, I think I, I, with getting the certifications as an immigrant gives you a voice. Sometimes I wish I could tell. I got my first job with no, with no, with no experience whatsoever, but now it's not like that. I mean, I don't know if it's the immigration thing. I do not know, but like it was very hard for me to like get to that point. Uh, I've always been in the service industry, like I said, so I've always had that hospitality component. Uh, but the wine per se, the story and the importance of the culture that ha the whole behind 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 it, uh, I think it's inspiring for people. Sometimes, sometimes we just forget about it. So it's just. Uh, it inspired me to learn all those stories so I could tell them so like people could remember why it's important to, to know all this stuff, you know, like, um, uh, and why Oregon? Uh, I think that also down through my introspective or introspection on why am I, what do I want, what do I want to do with wine? Um, I'm a, per personally talking about wine, I'm, I'm more of a terroir person. I like the stories you talk through the, through the wine and that winemaking, I found that in California they are a little bit more, I want this kind of wine more than this is the land speaking, you know? So I, that's something that I don't like a lot. So I like a little bit more of the, of the elegance and the, 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 the fact that you can taste the terroir of, I don't know, Willamette, that's just an opinion again. Uh, it, that in that Oregon has a lot of, especially Portland, has a lot of uh, welcoming community for immigrants. Uh, and I also learned that this was the whitest state in, in, in North America, or United States of America. I was like, they need me. <laughs> they need me the most. <laughs> so that's why, that's why I was like, yeah, Oregon. Yeah, that's uh, why we hired you. That's why we hired you, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. Uh, so he's like, oh, okay, so you couldn't own property if you were not white uh, in the 1900s, you know? Yeah, they sound like they, they, they need the most. Uh, so that's how I got into wine, <laughs> through hospitality, and I, that's how I landed into Oregon. That's awesome. Oregon out of spite, almost. I love that. That's <clears> great. <throat> <laughs> <laughs> I think my mom... Um, well, I, I think wine was a, was a second step for me. It was hospitality and tourism for me that really um, triggered all of that. Um, growing up where I grew up, um, like tourism is our number one income. So we're definitely bleeding right now. Um, we got tourism from like um, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, but also Russian people. So growing up in the very northernmost region in Italy, it's a it's a great tourism destination all four seasons. So it's something that is really pushed and something you have a lot of opportunities and chances at. So um, when I say that, we're like having a very high density or the highest density of high-end hotels in whole of Europe, to put it in perspective. So the really hotel after hotel after hotel, you can get a job at. So I went, tourism is, makes the most sense. So um, just when I walk into hotels, I was like, I felt like I'm going on a little trip. I'm like, yet only a couple of miles from my house, but I'm in a different place. You can tell when people enter it. And uh, while I just got intern roles and like helped at a reception and so on, I remember my first, my first real job with big responsibility was when we became the head of reception. And I, I was intrigued because I got to do so much with finances, all the booking, promotion, newsletters, and so on. But yet there's something missing. I remember the sommelier, and that was right in the midst while I was doing my sommelier with another guy, but he was hired as a sommelier, and he would come over. We keep tasting flights, we keep messing around with wine, and I felt like a little bummed out that I was so disconnected from wine. Um, actually, moving back a few years, I started off more in the service, and I remember it was very tough. I was 15 years old. I went down to uh, Lombardia in Italy, and uh, I was working there in the hotel, and I worked five days a week, every day, 10 to 12 hours. And I remember after two months of my intern, I walked away with less than $400, because that was the tip I got. You didn't get paid, you count yourself lucky to get the opportunity there. And I remember I dropped a bottle of balsamic vinegar on the marmore floors. I wanted to just leave, escape, and like hitchhike back home because I know somebody is gonna like almost murder me. Like growing up or like being educated in a very old world, old fashioned way, there's no mercy. You will be yelled at to a point where you're like, mm, I have to go into my room and cry it all out. No, you don't because you need to do, you need to perform and you need to go to service. So I luckily got that stain out, but I remember it's so terrifying to this day that like, that was the first thing the Matto said. Do not, under any circumstance, drop that balsamic vinegar. I did. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I think just knowing that you're not getting away with anything, nobody's gonna pay you, give you like a pat on the shoulder, you're actually gonna get like yelled at if you make something wrong. It taught me a lot of discipline. It taught me mental strength. It taught me a lot of other things that I could use later in my job. 
When I finally got the real connection with wine is when I moved into the service and that's when I got to use my sommelier. I finally gained, got that connection and I was like, that made me happy because I was like, I can finally work with the product. I can finally pair all those beautiful dishes I've been learning on. I can finally do all of that. Um, that unfortunately went down to the route where it's like, now it's only hotel, now it's only hotel life that comes with a lot of booze, that comes with a lot of other things. And like, yeah, it's fun for some years, but like, it's not sustainable in a way. If you want family, if you want hobbies, other stuff, you gotta find um, something in between. You gotta find a compromise. Um, so till about, till I got to Oregon, I always did it like that. Work for a year, work really hard, and then take a year off and travel around. So I got to practice my skills on the vineyard side in New Zealand and stuff like that. And eventually I met my wife in Africa and she brought me back to the US and I guess I never left. <laughs> so we picked a random city on the west coast because we wanted to get out where we were and Portland it was and um, that <laughs> was interesting because I was like, oh, I'm gonna be working at Weinberg I guess, all right, cool. And then I met this guy like about like, what was it now, three and a half years ago? Mm -hmm. And we just kind of like worked our way up and uh, we made it what it is right now. And this brings it back to the point that they say, you make what you want out of this industry, out of this topic. You can include as many industries, as many um, things as you want, chemistry, history, culture, storytelling, etc., etc., etc. And this is what we created and I feel like now in 2020 with the help of Miguel, we're combining all three of our cultures and our owner that is from the Middle East. And um, yeah, I feel like create a safe zone for a lot of people, but also a fun and very educational environment. I feel like that's pretty unique to Portland. Sounds like we both got abused when we were working in restaurants. Oh, definitely got abused. <laughs> I still remember getting like, um, got my, got like slapped with a rule on my knuckles at high school. Yeah. I like the pull. That still existed with one teacher, remember? <laughs> I, I remember there was one time where this is like working in the kitchen from the beginning. I, I put raw chicken above cooked croutons. And like, obviously, now it's just, yeah, you wouldn't do that. But at the time, I was like, God, you know, I didn't know. And right when I put on the rack, I just get this like smack on the head and my sous chef was at the end of the, the kitchen or at the end of the line and he threw a, a wooden spatula and just hit me straight in the head and just ran on over. He was a dude from New York City. Uh, so obviously really like just boisterous. Um, just chewed me out for like a half an hour. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Okay, I'll never do that again. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I worked down in Tuscany in Alba for a while and worked with only people from Napoli. <clears throat> and they're known to have a temperament all over the world, right? People from Italy. Well, to work with people, especially from Southern Italy, in the kitchen, it's like putting a freaking zoo in all of this. <laughs> it's like, it's, the, it's loud. It's, it's, <laughs> you better, you better watch your step. You better mind your step because like, you're gonna get like, you're asking real bad, so like, that to me was like, wow, I'm just very happy my parents don't see that right now because they'll probably bring me back home. But again, it made me who I am today. I don't think I'm gonna wish it on my kid, but like it was this very early on education and it's like, no, but it's nothing is gonna shock me after that, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, things Napoli. <laughs> 
So I'm curious about the, since all of you have a culinary background, a culinary or hospitality background, I'm curious how the wine industry differs for you from that background. What's, what's different about working with wine, working as a SOM versus those kinds of experiences <coughs> in restaurants or hotels? Hmm. Well, the abuse isn't there. <laughs> the abuse is like, like you filter out all the, you filter, what do I want? Yeah. Like extract that and bring it into this cozy safe space <laughs> and um, connect you right to the product. And there are a lot of other steps that are not involved in this process to just get you right to it in a way. What about on the production of viticulture side? Since, um, since you guys have a background in that as well, I'm, I'm curious as you got into wine from that side, from the not educational side necessarily, what were your kind of initial impressions of production and, and, and viticulture as you, as you sampled it? Well, I think a lot of the times it was like me with my face in a textbook and reading about how to do a pump pump over or a punch down or like sticking your head into a tank like you read a lot about it but you f I personally I always felt like there was like a missing piece in the puzzle mm -hmm. like okay I know how to make wine but I've never done it like so I feel like I just didn't have that hands-on thing so that was one of the things I pursued was to do uh, a harvest was to physically make wine and see the amount of effort to do a punch down, um, stick your head in the tank and breathe in CO2. You know, it was like the experience is what I lacked of making wine. And <clears throat> I think that was the best thing I've done in terms of like my sommelier degree in terms of like studying was like physically going to a winery and making wine. Because I, then you really like hmm. experience it. <clears throat> I agree with that because I'm a very I'm a very visual person, and I feel like a lot of times I learn about wine, but like to all the wine regions I've been to, there's this connection because I know I have the pictures in front of me, and I know how they've been grown, and uh, I know what's happening there at the vineyard side. Even just I worked there for a month or two, I know how to like what does trimming mean, what does net clipping mean, what what does certain terms mean because you have done that and you had that you felt it. So you can study it for weeks and end, but if you've never done it, it's just really, really hard to keep that connection. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, yes, whenever you really want to like engage with something and want to keep it, you pretty much have to be there or you have to put hands on. Otherwise, it's never going to it's never going to stick. Yeah, I'm curious with you specifically, since you talked about kind of wine as, as activism for you as, as a way to connect in a different kind of way. I'm curious why, why you thought wine would be more successful than other kinds of other similar industries than, 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 than food or hospitality would be? Why, why did you think wine would be the way to make your voice heard? Mm. I, I consider myself a little bit of a professional hedonism. Uh, so like we said, wine is uh, fun, right? And it goes down of the, how can I drag people into thinking like this or not like this, but like just seeing that stories matter. You know, um, so yeah, I think that putting the alcohol in the mix lures people. Uh, and um, it, I, I mean, personally, I'm not only into wine, like I'm into, into culture. Uh, everything that it's fermented, everything that distilled, uh, the recipe behind a, like a dish, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's, that's my thing. 
uh, and wine helps me kind of like bring the attention to to that part uh, to to kind of like inspire people like oh tell me more why did they do this you know like why do they eat like this like what kind of weather do they have what brought uh, what what kind of trade brought this kind of like crops or or spe uh, spices or like animals you know like I mean yeah and kind of like having some sort of reminder in our life that there's a way we got here and I don't know wine I think it, it's a good it's a good uh, vessel for that making history fun I guess mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. so you may all mentioned this place obviously this is where you guys come together uh, tell me about the history of this place and, and kind of how each of you got here and, and found each other founded in 1969 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this wine bar in Portland. Yeah, this wine bar yeah we really? just renovated no. it oh, oh, oh wow. really we just yeah. renovated huh we just renovated <laughs> 2017 go for it Trevor uh, uh, so in 2006 17 yeah 2017 around like February I was um, looking for jobs in Portland and surprisingly I went on Craigslist and found this ooh new wine bar opening up in Montevilla so like I applied and um, I met Dana Kofer so she was like the the original owner um, and she wanted to start a wine bar to get out of her current or like her industry that she was in and she wanted to do something new and she loved wine and uh, you know kind of wanted to pursue that passion. So she found this location and she like leased the space and started putting together her like dream wine bar. Um, and that's when I met her for my interview and my interview was pretty nuts. It was like this place was gutted and I sat down on a foldable table and she started asking me questions and there's like a table saw going <laughs> off in the back and uh, we had an interview for like, I think an hour and a half. Like it was the longest interview I've ever had. And I went, it went so long that I missed my next interview. Like there was just no way I was gonna be able to drive across town. Um, but yeah, got the job. Actually kind of a funny side story is during that interview I left and I was living in Southern Oregon at the time because I, I was gonna drive back home and I was like, ah, I need to go grab a drink before I go. <laughs> And so I walked down the street and um, sat down at this restaurant and ordered myself a beer. And Dana like walked into that same restaurant. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is gonna be awkward. And she actually like sat down next to me and we had a couple drinks together after our interview. <laughs> and, like, and then I left that like, you know, scenario. I was like, man, if I don't get this job, then I don't know what I did wrong. Like we talked for like four hours that day. Um, but yeah, then that's how I kind of met Manuel, and that was pretty much the beginning of Vino Veritas. Um, I don't know if you want to continue. I, I want to point out something. Stafford Hill Tempranillo. <laughs> yep. This was a um, similar story in the interview. It's, it was less an interview, it was more like, let's sit down and talk for two hours. <laughs> um, I mean, say like, sort of questions, you know, like um, the sort of was like um, a structured conversation in a way. But um, we each had uh, three wines. One was by Lobo Hills, the 
right bank, left bank blend that we don't carry currently. One, I don't remember, and one was Stafford Hill Tempranillo. Um, we pretty much had to share our uh, opinion, our impressions about this wine and what we wanted to do with it. And that was part of our like um, interview. And here and there, I look at this wine, I was like, this is you. I liked you back then. You're still on the shelf. You'll probably be on the shelf forever. We both by now visited the winery and we know the people. So it's like going from like, oh, Tempranillo, cool. Yeah, I've had it a couple of times, but like Oregon does it to like, you know, now you can like create a whole story around that. Storytelling that Miguel likes, culture approach, history, and so on. It kind of likes, goes, it gets back to that point. So that ball is, uh, I don't know, in a way it means a lot to me. Um, the process for me was very similar. Instead of Craigslist, it was Indeed for me. <laughs> and Sam, my wife, pretty much told me, hey, there's this wine bar, it's gonna open up, da, 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 da. It's like, all right, same process there. And then, uh, yeah, that wall was not yet. It was just like, so like a construction zone in a way. We had like 60 bottles. Now we probably have 250 bottles. There was like a bottle, two bottles of space in between a bottle. It seems like we sell jewelry instead of wine bottles. <laughs> when you look at it right now, it's like, yeah, it's just it was... the rarest bottle because we put it by itself. And then we put another one right over there. So that's how we started off with the super bright walls and like through those three walls of wine on there. And um, Dude, looking back on pictures of the wine bar when we first opened, I was like, man, how did we do it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dana, but like, how did we do it? Uh, honestly, got to ask myself that question. Yeah. Um, and yeah, down the line, um, things, um, I don't know, just uh, we developed. We just like started to express ourselves more. Um, uh, pretty much what you see on the shelf is not like, we're not a natural wine bar. We're not like, uh, this might go a little too far, but like just to briefly, we're not a natural wine bar. We're not French inspired. We are representing the three of us, mm -hmm. to phrase it very simply. Uh, Miguel is representing himself. He represents himself with uh, uh, wines that I've never heard about. He represents himself with um, a lot of <coughs> small winemakers, uh, um, uh, immigrants, uh, minorities, um, but also like um, you love Austrian German wines and so on. Uh, Trevor represents himself really heavily in the Spanish section because that's kind of what his background was in Sherry. I represent myself a lot with like Champagne and Italy and then the rest we just find along the way. So it's our representation of wines and it's what we think is right, not just to put a topic on the shelf. Mm -hmm. mm, personally, I got, I, I got to meet him probably like three, three years ago, actually a uh, really fun story. How tell, we, tell that story. <laughs> how we got to meet each other. Uh, we were at this other place, this other great uh, uh, bar. Uh, called uh, Division Wines uh, in Division, and uh, one of the one of the many schools that you can get certified is the Court of the Master Sommelier. Um, we're both certified in that in that in that uh, institution, and one of the things they do is blind tastings, right? And they have this thing called the grid, uh, which is a way that you taste the wines without knowing them in order to kind of like assess where they're coming from or what kind of winemaking they have or like the point is like understanding all this having all this theory and practicing all this gives you the the the, the kind of like the um, 
the knowledge to pick wines or to discern from one quality and all that stuff. So I was in this bar practicing all this thing. It's a never-ending thing, so it needs to focus. And then on, at the end of the bar, this guy is like, how do we start talking? So I think we were both sitting at the bar and you had your textbook open and I kind of like noticed what you were studying and like asked like, oh, yeah, what are you studying it. for? And um, you were like the, the court of masters, the certification. And I think I was studying for it at the same time, like different kind of, yeah. And, I think and, we were both yeah, studying that we just started talking. story after that, like I got a bottle, he got a bottle, we got we got talking and we closed the bar that night. Uh, <laughs> we had like three bottles. We had like of three wine. bottles of wine at the end of the day. Uh, my ex-wife was not very happy. <laughs> um, and yeah, so down the line, I got to I got to see him in another tasting. I mean, wine industry here is it's relatively small, so there's not a lot of tastings. And I met him in a German no in an Austrian wine tasting mm -hmm. at uh, Blue Hour. Blue Hour. I don't remember. It, it was, I think it's a blue, a, a restaurant in downtown. And I was like, I remember you. <laughs> and then we exchanged numbers that day. And uh, we, one of the things that we used to do, uh, we were part of a study group tasting from Portland. Uh, and then, yeah, that's how we related each other. And then one day uh, in January, I think the day I was transitioning, and he approached me and he was like, hey, man, like, I was wondering if you want to get on board with us. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, no. And, uh, yeah, I mean everything else was history. I started working here in February, mm -hmm. February I think, or late late it's like January. Late January, yeah. Yeah. I think back in the day we would have like people help us out on like a Friday night. Like if I was gone or if Manuel was gone, we would have one of our friends to like mm -hmm. fill in and cover through a shift. And we've had a lot of people kind of help us out from time to time. But Miguel was the only one that like. We had him work and it was like, okay, here's how you run the POS system, here's the basics. And then like he went off and mm -hmm. like just started talking to tables, selling bottles off the shelf, and it was just like a, a kind of a natural fit. Um, like obviously, like there's wines on here that because I mean you're like not even like a year in yet. So there's a couple wines on here that you haven't tasted yet but there's no doubt that you can describe them the way they actually are, uh, which I thought was pretty awesome. So mm -hmm. in terms of hiring somebody, when we were kind of faced with that earlier this year, it was just like, well, Miguel did so great before and we all know him and it was just like, of course. And like, he has a lot to bring to the table um, in terms of like wine knowledge and, and education and like the wine industry in Portland and um, what you want to do with wine was pretty important too. So that was also a really great time because I decided to leave town for six weeks, <clears throat> and like right in the midst of that, I already planned it before. Yeah, that transition was even like on the table, transitioning of ownership, transit redesigning the wine board. That around happened that time, um, hiring people. And so I was actually <laughs> heading out of town and like uh, it was all planned, it was all booked and I like I felt pretty bad about it because all of that came up right in the midst of that. So uh, that was actually great that Trevor then took the initiative and also hired Miguel and when he approached me he was like, yeah, dude, for sure. So that was great because it actually like right when I was gone then, you know, that was a really important time to like make such decisions right away and get that help right away. And um, 
because right after that the pandemic hit and uh, we're <clears throat> I think we we are very I think we um, have such a great support that we all were that we still were all essential to the business all three of us we still needed to work hard because we had more online orders and so on. Yes, the workload reduced, but we still, all three of us were essential to the business. So that trans transition with Miguel and on board, um, we managed and we, I feel like Trevor did a really good job on that end. So I'm, I'm happy how, for how everything worked out. Um, we um, now at a point where I consider us to be a very inviting space despite the pandemic. And I know the numbers are rising and we, take measures accordingly but now we have options now we can take tables away whereas before we had three tables and four tables inside now we have the same amount outside so seven or eight tables plus being the bottle shop you have options and it doesn't freak one out as much already going into the mm -hmm. um, COVID pandemic so you mentioned Manuel earlier that kind of each of you bring something to the to the table here I'm curious with the three of you together what is the goal for this? What, what, what is kind of the ethos of the place? What do you want people to get out of it? And what, what attracts people to come here? I, I think um, if I were to say it in one word, I think all three of us want people to live with an experience. I feel like it's more than just a glass of wine that we all express ourselves slightly different in experiences. I know uh, when I hear Miguel talk about wine, he has a really good sense of like telling a story around the wine. And he's a very, it's a very emotional approach. It's a very deep approach. And as he mentioned, there's much more, there's a lot of cultural, historical information to come with it, but also the wine itself. So it's a very, it's a very, um, it's a very deep, way of describing wine when I hear him talk and I really appreciate that because that's not how all of us approach wine not every day um, that is to me a great experience um, Trevor and Miguel they both did uh, blind taste every Wednesday we put that on hold it's not that we're not doing that but they will happen again we'll do wine classes once a month those wine classes are educational and fun as well and we still do them we just started them doing again a few months ago uh, we were planning on bringing in winemakers and have winemaker tastings actually in a month from now we're doing a high-end champagne tasting and we offer it to all of our wine club members at cost it doesn't make sense to us but yet again we want all of our people that have been so loyal to us experience what is it that you can aim for in sparkling wine? What is the true representation of such high-end wineries? So again, it goes back to experience. We were like, wanna connect with people as much as we can. So we're pretty, all three of us, I feel like have a pretty creative mindset. We're creative in the kitchen. We're creative with redesigning some dishes. Um, whatever is possible, whatever we can do right now with COVID and to do it in the safe, environment we're trying to pursue we're trying, trying to still keep up so the to go order to go for us was a temporary thing and i for me personally i realized yes we're still making some money off of it but it was like i'm missing something so having all those experiences that make us so unique back is like a big big chunk of our wine bar i think one thing for us is uh, the education behind it, at least 
Yeah, I'm, I could probably speak for all of us. Is education in wine is, is really important. Um, and the goal with education for us is to make wine more approachable. Um, you know, I think for some reason the wine industry has this like, oh, like it's too posh for me or whatever, like this vibe. And I, ha I always hated that, you know? It's like wine is wine. It's no different than beer or spirits or anything. Um, you know, of course the history might be a little bit longer, but like that's not the point, you know? Uh, so I really made it a goal, and I think all of us did, is to really break down that barrier and have wine for the regular person. Um, and I think a lot of, one of the ways you could do that is just through very basic education, you know? Like, hey, this bottle was made by a dude down the street in his garage. Like, it's really not that crazy. Um, and so we, that was really important for me and for all of us, is just really breaking barriers. And a lot of the times you do that is education and creating a really comfortable environment for them to experiment with different wines. And that's why we do classes, the champagne tasting. Um, providing an opportunity to taste different things that you wouldn't typically have an opportunity to taste. And giving context, I think it's that's important thing, again, relying on the education part, right? It's like, what, okay, yeah, bubble, what about them? You know, like, I mean, why is this memorable? Why is this an experience? Where is the value, not the price, the value mm -hmm. of something, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, after all, it's just fermented grape juice. Mm -hmm. That's, mm -hmm. it, it boils down to that. And yeah, keeping that, Let's not be pretentious, you know, like just keep it grounded. You, you, you want to you wanna get ethereal and like see why this is $375 bottle? Sure, we can get go there, but like that's not the point. And like, I, I think it comes along with the education part. A lot of people are just alienated about wine and that's why they think it's a little bit posh. But at the end, it's only for fermented grape juice. So there's a time and a place for a $12 mm. bottle. Yeah, sure, come over, you know, like... Um, so people are like that. Hey, I I just got some tacos. What kind of wine you want for your tacos? You know, like it, it can mm -hmm. be as fun as that. I I I like I like that. Yeah, that that is easy. Like that's one approach where like people sometimes come in, and it's not always the wife drinks wine, the man drinks beer. Sometimes it's the other way around, and we never assume that. There's no assumption there. We always ask who's what, who who drinks what, and we encourage people to drink some wine. We just make it very approachable. Yet again, if for example, say. In a month from now, we'll have the Champagne, it's 1995. And then there might be a couple of people, they weren't even born in 1995. So like just bringing that awareness, this, those grapes have been picked prior to you being born. They spent so much time in the cellar, probably just as much time in the cellar as you went to educate yourself at school. Putting things in perspective. What is the cycle, what's the process that this wine went through for you to finally have it right now at this table? This is a whole story. This is like a life story to tell about this wine. So, yes, there were a lot of different approaches. And like, uh, rather just throwing out vintage, yeah, this is a eight-year-old wine. Call it there. Three months in oak. Da, da, da. It's like such like, like fact, fact, fact. Putting it in perspective of what you're actually drinking right now. And um, I think at that point, people really like can connect with it. But it's your job to phrase it correctly. It's your job to educate accordingly. Educate on a, like also an emotional basis. Yes, we can throw out facts, but we really have to deliver the facts in a way so you can understand them. If I tell you all like very, very like uh, specific or very like confusing 
fact, you like they can't go in and out. So yes, it's our job to like deliver them accordingly. Mm -hmm. So even so, you each you kind of has your own sort of background specialty in terms of, of what wines you are you're a fan of or, or knowledgeable about. But even with that, there's still a huge amount of wine out there. So how do you decide what comes into the store, and how do you sort of keep up with new wines or new trends or, or new producers that as they as they come around? I feel like a lot of us. I mean, that's the the glory of the three of us working together is we can rely on each other for certain things. Like, I know Manuel knows a whole lot about Italian wines and champagne, so it's just kind of like, all right, we'll lean on him a little bit in terms of like, hey, we need this particular style or we're looking for something different. Um, so kind of like lean on him to kind of find it and vice versa with like Spanish wines. So we lean on each other's knowledge a little bit. Um, and like Austrian wines for, for Miguel and whatnot um, to find specific things. Uh, but when we see that we're missing something on the shelf or we need to transition into like summer to fall wines to winter wines, um, we go out and actively pursue different styles. Um, so of course wines come to us and we taste them and we really enjoy them and then we make that decision if it fits or we pursue a specific style or a specific region or a specific grape um, and try and mix it up that way. We try to change the shelves fairly regularly. Our glass list is, changes all the time. And a lot of that is just seasonal, something different, whatever excites us at the time. Um, yeah. I think we're very particular when we come, when it comes down to like those auto wines, the ones we're not, or like that that we share in common. Like, don't get this the wrong way, but I don't think it hurts to give <clears throat> a new sales rep or somebody who walks in initially a little bit of a hard time, and not just like welcoming with open arms, but actually to showing them a little bit of like, all right, I'm trying to figure it out but we also are picky about what we want in here because I don't want, the, I don't want to receive wines that have been featured everywhere else. I don't want to taste the three wines over and over again. I've had that, I want to move on. I want to have, we might have specific requests. So we have our expectations when people bring in wines just because it saves us time and it makes our time more efficient. So by just like creating that boundary in a sense, it's like, hey, yeah, cool, doesn't make sense though. It doesn't help us. Let's don't do that again. We kind of like, got to that point, I remember last year, whereas prior to that, we always had those tastings and Fridays, and it was like, we realized, this is the fifth wine from this region. We just don't, we just can't. It's like, it's a waste of time. So we got A, a little bit more specific, and B, we just say no, if it realize it's not to our benefits. Um, it's very rare that we approve a wine, that we to put it on the shelf if somebody randomly drops off a bottle. Because most of the time we already filled that gap or we just weren't filling it, honestly. So um, there's still a structure or means to get those wines in. That's all mm -hmm. I'm saying. It's a very cool process because it's never ending. You know, like, I mean, it's, <clears throat> since uh, it's climates, it's uh, concepts, you know, uh, so it's a never-ending baby, you can say. You know, like we see gaps, and it's like, okay, what what does the market need? Uh, and that's another thing that I think that we are consciously doing research about about what are we putting and what's that. What personally, what what's gonna be that and, uh, as an impact in our market? You know, like I mean, 
uh, a lot of people would like to drink off dry wine so like they just don't like wine because it's bitter but because the way they eat you know so you can please them and be like yeah i'm gonna bring sweet wine which there's a time and a place for certain types of sweet wines but that doesn't mean that we're just gonna put all sweet wines you know like that's our i, I think that's our our, our the, the fun process you know like okay i'm gonna try this wine it didn't work out sometimes it happens you know like you bring a wine and it's just hard to sell you know and it's like mm, well, i'm not gonna bring it anymore uh, or you learn from it you know and it's like maybe this is a great fall wine but out of fall they don't buy it you know um i don't know it's just it's it's, it's a fun process never ending fun process i also feel like we never really put limits on ourselves to what we brought in you know like manuel kind of mentioned before is like we're not a natural wine bar you know we're not specifically looking for no sulfur low so2 wines we have them because you know we understand that customers come in and they know what they want some people might really in, be into natural wines some people don't really care so for us we never limited ourselves to one specific style or region and we try and get a little bit of everything and that makes us like or makes that buying process a little bit easier i mean it has its challenges because it's so open-ended um, but i think our number one goal is to have something for everyone whether that be like big full like super hearty you know big reds or like a really delicate pinot um, i think that's one thing that we always strive ourselves to become is something for everybody I think that's our number one yeah, mm -hmm. approach. Yeah, that's yeah, it. So, in addition to wine, obviously, food and music play play a role here. Tell me about sort of the other, uh, obviously, pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic uh, things you do with the shop or with the space here. Uh, well, uh, as I was coming here in January, there was like a bit refurbished project in here, so. I've always seen it like, I think this is a little bit of a living room, you know, it makes you feel cozy and stuff. Uh, and we were doing some uh, live shows here. Uh, we had uh, 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 Neil, uh, who owns the, the, the guitar shop over here. He, he, he is kind of like our connection with the, with the, with the people, with the, with the artists, great artists come over here. It's a community driven bar. So with that, like uh, we have beer from Threshold. We have uh, 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 connections with with our neighborhood here, you know. So I think we we try to keep great uh, artists. I mean, I don't I don't know exactly where do they source them, but I know that they're professionals about that, about that you know. So uh, one of the things that I I saw right on the moment I got here is that we are very community driven. Mm -hmm. uh, so we try to support our our artists. Uh, we used to have a uh, happenings over there. Uh, and we had a pretty busy uh, schedule, I would say. Like there was mm -hmm. like at least two to three events a, a month, uh, because again, we want to promote our people. You know, uh, we want to promote the space. We want to promote the stories. So again, how do you deliver? How do you create the space? How do you engage into these people? How do you make this fun? You know, uh, I don't know if you guys want to add, add something. On uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> 2020, right? Everybody has something to say about that. Um, well, we all thought the year is going to go a little different. Um, we had a pretty extensive program for events. 
some that unfortunately like fell through, like I was mentioning a urban winemaker festival, some that we put on hold, like the Wednesday blind tasting, where there's a very structured approach to a flight of wine and people can sign up, do it by themselves or guided or by Trevor or Miguel, that is on hold. We just started to put like wine, we do wine classes again, we do them prior to open up so everybody has a safe space. So those are educational classes that are focused on a specific topic, example given sparkling wine. Uh, we, just, um, uh, uh, we just did Pinot from around the world. We'll do it on December, we'll do a whole wine class on fortified wines from all over the world. So there is um, not uncommonly that we pair that with a light snack or lunch. So we'll give pairing suggestions, we might give recipes, we create our, we pretty much go out of the way to really make the class what we want it to be. We put a focus on different things. Some class might be focused on sustainability. Last class, the focus was on soil types. Um, the next class, it might be social gatherings and recipes on how to properly serve wine. Um, uh, we did bottle sizes, we did glassware, so every, with every wine class we do, they just focus on something. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of that, yes, the music program, Richard White, you were seeing, you would actually be the star of the wine bar right now, because that's where we had the music <laughs> before, so literally like having live music in your living room. All of this has been redesigned, none of this existed prior to the beginning of this year. It was much more of like a structured seating and music was in the corner. So we redesigned the space to make the music center of attention. And as we're all flexible, as all such, we all have such creative minds, right? Let's give us all the credit for that. We put the music outside. Music is outside, we have space heaters out there. Yes, it's not gonna get super toasty when it's 35 degrees out there, but you'll be surprised people love and ask for sitting outside. Yes, I did too. It was like, how do you do it? People love it. Uh, so we have people are sitting outside, we have chairs on the, on the sidewalk and there's music blasting outside and if we can, we keep the doors open. So the music program right now till the end of the year is five times a week and then after that I speculate we still keep it on for probably three times a week. So yes, between music, wine classes, other kind of tastings, um, we do what we can given the circumstances and uh, we try to show as much appreciation to our wine club members uh, that is an ongoing growing program yeah I, I mean to talk about music real quick a little bit more backtrack um, it's kind of has flourished over the years uh, it started off as um, one of the owners Sammy who is now the current owner his son Jake Kawaja is a really talented jazz pianist and the goal in the beginning was to just have like him and his band play and you know once a week and it was always on Fridays and he did a really good job like it, it kind of brought a, a good crowd in. Trevor um, was over it at one point let's be honest here the reality <laughs> was they, they just knew 15 songs and they played that for a year and a half. I mean I'm so not one gonna point, lie Trevor I did was like, to the same song we need to switch years. it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not Sorry. gonna yeah I'm not gonna deny that. Um, <laughs> But it, that's where it started, you know, I can't, I, I got to give him credit. So he, yeah. he started this community music thing going on. And then that flourished into us hiring Neil, who booked music for us. And obviously was really well connected, as Miguel was saying. And then, you know, Sunday became jazz Sundays and Friday became like live music where we had various artists. And then that started just growing and growing and we became more of like a like a, more of a music venue over the last couple of years, uh, more of a 
get a bigger reputation for mm -hmm. the live music and the artists we brought in. Um, and now, like as Manuel was saying, it was like now it's five nights a week, and you know a lot of folks are in tune to who's playing here and whatnot. Um, you know, I never thought we would make it this far in terms of live music, but here we are. So. Yeah, it's definitely unique in the city. Mm -hmm. Looking around, especially right now, it's privileged to be where we are. Yeah. I mean, I think that I see this place uh, as, a, as a place for culture, you know, like wine, music. There's artists uh, just come here and like want to do their thing. Like, so yeah, I think that it's just, we like culture, I think. <laughs> We just find different ways to like, how can we do this more and more and mm -hmm. more and better? Yeah. Going back to your classes for just a second, I'm, I'm curious, that, that's an interesting array of classes you offer. Uh, are you basing that mostly on demand from customers or are you basing it on just things you think people need to know? And, and what has the reaction of customers, <laughs> of, of your ed educatees, of your students been so far? Well, I think Manuel and I, when we first opened, <laughs> We, we all, I mean, like I said before, like education is really important to us and always has been, like ever since the very beginning. And so we really wanted to do wine classes. And the first year we're like, okay, let's launch our first wine class. Picked a random theme, I don't even know what it was. It was uh, Old World versus New World. Yeah, and it was so difficult to get that class filled. To get six people. <laughs> six people. We're talking about six people. Like we were asking the owners if they had friends to join the class and it was just... Everybody was, felt sorry for us. It was really challenging. Like it was pretty difficult. Um, I think it was actually probably a good thing, but we, we put those classes on hold because it was so difficult for like a year. And that was in the first year. So then two years ago, one and a half to two years ago, we relaunched our class kind of program again, and the classes sold out like instantaneously. And it was just, we didn't even have to sell it. It was, it was just there, it was broadcast and people signed up. And we kind of like redesigned it into a class series. So we do, uh, what was it like spring, summer, fall, winter? Yeah where it's three classes for each yeah. like season, I guess. So this is the last one I fall, and then we'll do the holiday special in December, and then we launch winter for January, March, yeah. January, February, March, yeah. So we sell it as like a, a package, and it, it just like, we have a lot of the same folks who come to the classes, like class after class, and the whole point is like, general education, we usually ask them like what they want to see next, and go from there, and you know, the whole class has really kind of flourished into something mm -hmm. that we never really expected it to be. But Like about before COVID hit, I remember the last class prior to COVID, I had 17 people. And like, I didn't want to have 17 people. <laughs> it was my bad, it was my mistake. <laughs> but it's like, oh, three more, I kept it at 14. It's like, yeah, join us. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, fuck. <laughs> But um, it was great class, uh, great vibes, and you just pretty much have to approach it with confidence and just like pretend you have everything under control. But like the demand was there, and right now we have it at like, we cap it at, we have like 10 to 12 people. That's what we can do with the spaces apart. We don't have a problem selling them out. We have the customer base right now, so we're not worried about it. Actually, the one for the holiday tasting that we're doing next, 
we have flyers, but we don't promote it in store yet because we're also trying to see if people from around town that haven't been in yet want to join. So we have, um, <clears throat> so we like promote it elsewhere too. So um, we'll see how that approach goes. Uh, as much as we appreciate our customers, we want to like just, you know, keep our options open and see what other people might want to take advantage of such classes. Mm -hmm. In terms of themes, it, a lot of it just comes down to like, okay, well, what haven't we talked about? <laughs> yeah. um, how can we like mix it up? And of course, like Manuel's always asking the like the class, like what they want to see. Um, but a lot of this is just like, let's talk about this because it's something we haven't done before. Or yeah, whatever. Um, blind taste. The blind tasting classes was something that uh, I think Miguel and I were super passionate about. Um, I used to go to this wine bar in Oakland it's called Bay Grape, and they did blind tasting classes every Monday, and it was always filled. And I attribute that class to like my career pretty much, because uh, I would go there and do their class, and it was so much fun learning about wine. This is in the very beginning, and I just I think that's where my passion grew was taking those classes. And I've always envisioned kind of like taking that and putting it here. Um, you know, it's a work in progress, but like that was one of the big markers for me in terms of my wine education and career was taking those classes. So He's better right now. He really wants to say, fuck COVID, you took away my classes. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Did the did the either the the level of interest or the level of education of your customers surprise you? Did did they know more than you expected, less than you expected? Did they ask different things than you expected, or has this been fairly straightforward wine education for you? I'd say it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it's one thing to be very educated about something; it's another thing to deliver the information. I always thought like the greatest, the most knowledgeable people are terrible teachers because they like skip part one, two, three, and go to part four and you don't understand anything. So that was for me, uh, that's a learning curve. One thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you like approach information? I think it's always a challenge, you know, like I mean, how do you deliver this? How do you give context? How do you give value to something that has a price? You know, what, what, those intangibles and like, um, yeah, I think that there's never like, I, I mean, I, I just had my first class. Uh, here, uh, I we did uh, Asian culture, uh, and yeah, I mean, I mean personally, it's a little bit complicated because this is my second language. So you have to, like he said, like he said, you just have to pretend that everything is all it's all good, you know, like you know this. Uh, and uh, to your question of like, do people know a lot? Some people know a lot about something, and some people don't know a lot about something else, you know. So, uh, like you said, it's a I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, they don't. They're here because they're interested about that. That's the cool thing, so that you get their attention. And uh, that's the cool thing about all those classes, you know? Like, we talk about so many things that, I mean, you can find someone that just went to Japan, you know? And, like, I mean, the Asian cl culture class, you know? Like, I just went to this place, and, like, I mean, that's why I'm here. Like, that got me into sake. And, like, we're having a sake tasting. I'm going to go to the sake tasting, you know? Yeah, I, I think... Um one of our, you know, challenges is, like, reading people, you know? Um, I mean, that that's our profession is to read people, read where they're at, and I think 
you know, we always have to check ourselves too because you might approach a table where you skipped step one and two and they're on step one and you kind of have to bring that all back because then you're kind of going into like, oh, the pretentious part, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. let's, let's, take a, let's take this all back and let's talk about how wine's made. Um, I, I mean, my girlfriend, for example, is kind of like the worst experiment because, you know, at home, like, I'm always like, oh, this is everything. And like, she's like, what is, what's that? <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, okay, let's go back. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's a lot of those just like, just reading people of where you should start that conversation. And that's a challenge, that's pretty challenging because yeah. sometimes you take the step too far and you realize you need to kind of bring it back a little bit. Um, but that's also the fun of it too, so. Mm -hmm. And the good thing is if you get to know people, you know, yeah. <clears throat> more specifically what they're looking for, you don't really tend to like, in, you don't create as many awkward situations, you bond immediately, you know, the price point they're looking at, you know, kind of the direction you're going at, and you can refer to previous purchases, and you can uh, get feedbacks on that. So it just really cuts all of that tension, it's pretty much gets a pretty straightforward approach, and it's like, makes wine approachable, and then it's not as faint anymore, and it's just, it's just, it's a choice that you choose to bring wine in your life, and to like, you gather further information, it's as, as far as you want to go and everybody on his own term and his own speed and that's just um, that's the easiest easiest way to do so is to have regulars because then it's like you already going to part three and you're like skipping all introductions so on you know exactly what they want but then again that helps us to bond with new people and just like by now you have the knowledge and you know your shelves by heart you can just turn around yes that ball is right there you might not gonna like it but you like that yeah I think the more you get to know people like you realize what they mean in terms of what they want. You know, like I'll have a customer come in and be like, oh, I really like dry wines, but their version of dry might be a little bit different than this person's version of dry. Um, and just really getting to know people mm -hmm. in, that, in that aspect. And I think we're all pretty fortunate that our customer base are regulars, like most of them. And so we've got to know a lot of them and what they like to drink and you know, what they don't like. And I think that's plays in our advantage. I mean, it's a lot of work of like understanding people, um, but we do have a pretty good regular base, which helps you know, bringing in certain wines for certain people. Mm. Personally, I, I think that, that that part specifically, it's, to me, it's one of the most fun aspects of the, of, of the job. Talking about what you feel, what do you like, it's like talking about emotions. We didn't get taught how to talk about our emotions or what do we feel or, or like how to express what are we feeling at that moment, right? Uh, so it's really cool to see people kind of like, and I think that's, that's crucial to the wine part. Being able to make someone comfortable to talk about how they're feeling or what do they want to feel, what do they want to experience and help them to be like, no, 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 it's okay. If you don't know how to express yourself, talk to me more about, okay, what do you feel, you know? And then try to guide them to develop a language, a vocabulary about, it's, it's self-awareness, again, you know, you can go into the holistics a little bit, but it's pretty cool, it's pretty intimate, to be totally honest, like when you get to, to meet a, a guest or that you build up that confidence, it's like, oh, you've, you've always uh, given me the right bottle, you know, like it's different, it's not that I love it, it's not that I hate it, it's just different, it's an experience. And when you, when you land that concept, 
more than having a, 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 a customer that is always gonna come back, you've created this the experience and, 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 and allow them to get, or give them the, the, the guest tools to experience their own body and their own perception. Uh, it's like that for the yoga, produ uh, 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 for the people that does uh, uh, yoga, the shavasana at the end, you know, like when it's just mindfulness and just you're there, the tasting portion, talking about this, just like nothing matters. It's here, it's what you feel, it's what you're tasting. And helping people doing that and expressing about that, that's cool, I think. I think that would be a good sequence to go through that process, the shavasana, the mindfulness, and then have the glass of wine ready for you. I like how he thinks. Yeah. That would be a really good idea, actually. Or do both. Huh? <laughs> At the same time. Have do yoga, both. yoga in here. Do like really do like challenging yoga poses and put like a super fragile glass of wine underneath. If you fall, we should do that. you break the glass that's, that's and hurt yourself. Exactly. If yeah. not, you can enjoy This is it. how our classes start. Yeah. <laughs> this is how our classes yeah. start. I was like, man, how can we do yoga and wine? Yeah. Who knows if it happens? <laughs> it might. <laughs> we don't hesitate with a lot of dog as you're yeah. pouring. Remember, you know, the great thing is we know people that know have their yoga, their yoga teachers, so they'll be willing to do it. I can already think of some people. Uh, I could probably like force them to do it for a few <laughs> bottles of wine. You're I think that's, I mean, that's a pretty good answer to like how do our classes come around is yeah, just us bullshitting. <laughs> I think the champagne tasting was something that came around where we were drinking sherry at a friend's house and we were, we were pretty toasted and you were kind of like, hey, I have this idea about a champagne tasting. I'm like, what do you think? And I'm like, it's genius, let's do it. And now we have 22 people sign up. <laughs> <laughs> and we have like all the, all the ones in the back. It was, an, it was an expense for us, but like, now we have it, so it's we're doing it. It's pretty bad as a, a lineup of, of wines. So there's, it's definitely going to be special wines that day, you know. And, oh yeah. And giving the opportunity to the community to taste them and like telling them why is this important and like that cost. I have cost, yeah, because like I mean, unfortunately, yeah, wine. We live in a capitalist world, so so there's really expensive bottles that not everyone can afford, you know. So that's part of like. Us, again, sharing, knowing this stuff, knowing that it's important to share, mm -hmm. why it's important, and it's kind of like, hey guys, like we appreciate you, you know, like after all this puts food in our tables, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, you got to show some love, you know, and like, I don't know, being able to take care of the community the way they're taking care of us, and having fun while mm -hmm. you're drinking sherry and coming up with ideas like that, I think it's a very fun place to be. The socialist wine program. Mm -hmm. By the way, we drank sherry at one of our regulars, so. Yeah. It's like your idea juice. Yeah. I, got it, so I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a couple times uh, a wine club. Tell me about the wine club here and, and how that kind of came about and, and what you offer. Yeah, so <laughs> going farther back into my interview with the ta like table saw in the background, um, I asked Dana about wine clubs. And I was like, well, you know, you want to start a wine bar, like, how do you feel about a wine club? And she was like, oh, I never really thought much about it. Um, going f further back there was when I worked at the Spanish table, I ran their wine club and it sucked. It was terrible. It was, it was a great wine club, but like the administrative work behind wine club was, was not fun. It was a lot of work. And so the idea of bringing a wine club here was like sweet and sour because the importance of a wine club is it's really important because uh, you can do a lot of different things and it's 
the value behind it is great. The work behind it is a little challenging. And so when we came to the point at Vino Veritas, like, okay, we're getting to the point where we need to have a wine club, how are we gonna do it? We spent a lot of time researching, talking, discussing what's the best club. Like, how can we do this efficiently? How can we bring value to the wine club? Like, what are the perks? Um, and so we, we researched a lot of other bars, wineries, other places around town to discuss how we want to run our wine club. So the concept is it's $45 a month. Uh, it's every month. And we pick three bottles of wine. Uh, and these three bottles usually have a theme to them. Not always, but most of the time there's a theme. And we bring them in. We offer a pickup weekend where all the wine club members can come in taste all three wines in a flight and they can bring a friend and they can taste them too. So you get two flights and they get to pick their two favorite bottles and take those bottles home. Uh, the idea behind that was, I mean, I, in my previous wine club, it was like, here's your two bottles, hope you like them. Like, let me know what you think. If you don't, you're pro. Yeah, like, sorry. And it just kind of just didn't seem appealing to us. Like, I want you to like actually like what you're gonna take home. Um, so that's why we did the choose three, pick two, because uh, you can actually taste them. Some people might be red wine drinkers and drift towards those. Some people might be white wine drinkers and drift towards those. Um, yeah, those are kind of like the meat and potatoes of the wine club mm -hmm. with all the benefits that you guys might want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I've, I didn't know what it was, honestly. First, I've never worked in the U.S. before, so when I got this job, it was like wine club. And then, like, I heard the first, and I was like, somebody pays to get two bottles of wine. It's like, why wouldn't they just pick it off the shelves? It never made sense to me. So I was kind of like, let's undo it, let's undo it, let's undo it. I was like, no, I don't think so. And then the venture was like, all right, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and um, I guess just the way we, like, created the wine club, it also made sense to me then. It's because again, it's more of an experience. You get the choice. You get more like poor. You get balls every potentially don't put on the shelves. You get extra, uh, extra discounts elsewhere. So it was more of like a true membership uh, to the wine bar, not just uh, to the wines per se. So then it made sense. I saw the point, and now we're up to like 85 members that we can be pretty proud of. Mm -hmm. It's. Um, it's during pickup weekend, they're getting harder and harder to tackle, don't get me wrong, <laughs> because every member gets a flight, plus one. So it can be up to 170 people. So we have four days to pick up, not everybody picks them up, out goes, has a flight, um, but it's a lot to tackle during our regular hours. Um, but yeah, we just try to keep that up as long as we can because it's just what makes a wine club yeah, so unique and I think it's the best one that I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Best value too. Um, and uh, we do put a big emphasis on like finding wines that are not common. Mm -hmm. So for this upcoming month, for the November month, um, we had these wines shipped from New York. Like they're wines that were only distributed in New York. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of like really focusing on wines that most people haven't had and making them special releases. Um, of course, we put an emphasis with that on our shelves, but specifically Wine Club, we put a lot more focus on new wines and special wines. 
Yeah, it gets almost to a point where wine doesn't arrive in time. For example, for my wine class next week, they're like, oh yeah, we want to get this, we want to order this, we want to order this. It's like, yeah, it might be a, a week late. It's like, well, a week late that like defeats the whole purpose of me ordering it. So like, it's frustrating, it's bittersweet experience. It's like, if there are delays in shipments, then it's like, it can mess up your plan. But then again, if it all works out, you're the one that carries this wine before anybody else, or you might even be one of the very few, only one in town. So yet another reason to come by and get the wine here. Um, so I'm, I'm we're gonna, all of you came to Oregon fairly recently and none of you really came to Oregon necessarily for Oregon wine or at least that wasn't the only reason coming here. So I'm curious, uh, initial impressions of the Oregon wine industry that you had and, and how the Oregon wine industry, Oregon wine fits into the philosophy of the shop. Mm. Uh, I came to Oregon because I grew up in the Bay Area and surrounded by Napa Valley, Sonoma. And the idea of working at a winery there was just like, yeah, I kind of want to experience something new. Um, and I've read, like at the time, I read a lot about Oregon wine, like Pinot and like the climate, and it just kind of appealed to me. And it was kind of like, I need to get out of my home. So I, I, I left to come here and worked at the winery and. Uh, at Van Duzer was the the winery specifically and I kind of fell in love with the culture at least with Oregon wine scene uh, just waking up making wine leaving going around the different wineries it was like a small little community which I loved and having a wine like industry or wine region that's so prominent in the world right next to a major city was also kind of appealing. So I was like, oh, I did this. Well, I just live at Portland and, you know, continue like the Oregon wine thing here. Um, mm. yeah. I think that, well, personally, the, 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 the Oregon uh, wine uh, uh, I don't know, industry, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a very kind of like, like I said, it's a small community, right? I mean, it's a big piece of land, the community that, that works that land, it's, it's kind of like tiny, you know? So you, you, you it's, it's very tight, it, it's very community driven. Uh, I found a lot of support uh, within like, I mean, my study bodies pretty much, you know? Uh, and like I mentioned, Oregon has something I think it portrays a little bit better the the, the terroir, uh, and I don't know. I, I I think that I find that very appealing. Uh, I really enjoy. I mean, one of the few Pinot Noirs that I can say very um, like with a grain of salt that I can recognize from a glass. It's Pinot Noir from here. Uh, I don't know why. It just has specific spices, and I just I'm like, is this from is this from Willamette? I always seem to recognize it. I don't know, so I have a, a connection with it, you know. So. Yeah, that's why I probably chose here. What about you? Um, no, my, my wife applied for a job. She got a job here. The manager of San Francisco's super roots is like, fuck San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Plus you looked up rental prices. Oh, yeah. uh, so like, screw that. And then Seattle was just too big. It was a no-go for me. And it's like Portland it was. And Sam was said like, Denver, she didn't want to. So it's like, all right, Portland it is. And we moved here and then, um, 
it was time for me to get a job. I finally had my work permits. It's like, all right, I got to get a job too. So knowing the term Willamette Valley and Pino was about all I knew about this area in particular. But um, yeah, just uh, living here a little bit, it just pretty much was eye-opening. It's like, yeah, the U.S. is truly the land of endless opportunities because that's what they always call it in Europe. Because growing up, it's like there's a, there's a reason behind a Bordeaux blend. There's a reason why you grow this and this and this. You would never grow this there. You would never blend those varietals. You would never age such a wine like that. You would never, a lot of things, a lot of regulation, a lot of things. You would never like really look outside of that concept. That's generation have been doing that and there is reason behind that. Coming to Portland, Oregon, none of that existed. You can do whatever you want and people like mess around experience with mine as much as you can possibly imagine. Yet there are very traditional winemakers, especially out in the valley, Pinot producers on. I definitely appreciate them for what they are. But it was such a huge learning curve for me to like see people doing that with that. And, and like many times it's like, how does that even work? <laughs> so yes, a lot of new different wine, aromatics and so on. So um, yes, it was definitely in a way then a great learning curve. And right now we're here and yes, you can represent the connect to this wine country because yeah. you put some effort in over the last years, but it definitely took some time especially for me because it was a big learning curve. I mean, the Oregon wine scene is relatively a baby, you know, like if you really think about it. And <clears throat> of course the Willamette Valley, it's come to known to be famous for Pinot and Chardonnay. And like that's sticking around for sure. But if you talk about Southern Oregon, there's a lot of room for experimentation mm -hmm. um, and in the Valley too, but you know, it's always gonna be Pinot and Chardonnay. Um, but Southern Oregon is still experimenting with climates, soil types, what grows best where and, and whatnot. And kind of Washington is under that renaissance as well right now. And so it's kind of cool to be a part of a wine region or wine industry that knows what they are, but has room for flexibility and hasn't became the Napa where they're like, oh, okay, they took it too far and now they're trying to like recuperate, <laughs> like recuperate themselves. <laughs> Hopefully Oregon never gets there, but um, yeah, it's just, it's fun to be part of a new, a new up and coming wine industry. How does Oregon wine fit here? What are you looking for for Oregon wine, specifically for this shop? I mean, I feel like we're such a great, there are great wine shelves all over town. Even if you go to Fred Meyer, a Safeway, and a New Season. That's great, but it's a challenge for us. So I feel like me personally, we just really want to try to give smaller industries, smaller uh, portfolios, but also small winemakers a good chance on the shelves. It does make it easier for us because you have to order with everybody individually. But um, it's our way to truly uh, feature all those people's with the hopes in the wine industry and we want to like support them, we want to try to make it happen. Uh, so we talked about people like the produce down in the Southeast Wine Collective. We saw small winemakers that were there and they finally purchased their first vineyard sites and we saw them moving out to Hood River. Uh, we see people like, you know, so you actually see the process where they're going, but um, I think to briefly answer that question, it's like it's less about, yeah, you'll have your Pinot selection, but it's really to like also underline those people who are just up and coming or might have not been discovered to a point where you see them everywhere. Yeah, yeah I think our, our goal is to highlight young 
not young, but like new small winemakers. I mean, you can get a bottle of Domaine Serene in Hawaii. Like, why would we want to put that on a shelf? Um, and, you know, our, our shelves are relatively small. And we've already kind of established that we're like, we pick wines from all around the world. So it's not like we highlight Oregon wines so much more than we do Italian wines. But when we do highlight Oregon wines, we want it to be small, unique, like producers that mm -hmm. we're comfortable and familiar with. So as you've gotten to know the Oregon wine industry, what, what do you kind of see as you look ahead for Oregon wine? What is the industry going to look like in, in, in the upcoming years? And how will it fit in as Vino Veritas grows? Uh, what are you expecting out of it? And what are you expecting it as it intersects with your business? I think that they're still growing, like the Willamette Valley wine scene. I am scared that it's growing in the wrong direction in the terms of like big money coming in and buying small wineries out, which we've all seen that happen throughout the last couple of years. Uh, and that's what I'm scared about. But also, on the contrary, you always see new small wine producers starting off in cooperatives like the Southeast Wine Collective and growing out of it and getting mm -hmm. a small thing. So that gives me hope is you're always hearing about new wineries starting from ground zero. And that's what excites us and that's what we want to support. We don't necessarily want to support Francis Coppola coming out and buying Vista Hills. You know, that was one of our favorite wines, and we saw that. Like, oh, yeah. Ah, I don't know what if we could it, do this. Uh, you know? What was it, Penarash? Mm. Yeah, Kendall Jackson. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, that kind of thing has its place, and you can't bag them, and it is what it is, and that's, like, that's how the wine scene grows, right? So it's not like we're totally bagging on that, but it's something that we don't really want to support because we're small and independent, so we want to focus on other small independent producers we should buy a vineyard side you know, yeah if, if to while we can sell a we actually it. have 12 gallons of syrah that we made in here in the back <laughs> that you should maybe not tell the oregon food safety people that we did but <laughs> yeah we actually didn't make it didn't ever made it around to pick this year yeah so um i think it's just going to age in cowboys for two years instead of one so it's gonna be high. it's gonna be like we just give it time. We just can't, we just claim we give it time. Yeah. We, that we don't have the time, so we give it time. This was <laughs> it'll be this was something where we like we came to Dana and be like, how do you feel about us buying a giant garbage can and fermenting Syrah grapes in our back room? So we'll have 2019 Syrah with about what 10% of Riesling that we release in 2021. Yeah. When I got here, they were already doing it. I, I, I was. <laughs> It was, I look at the carboys and I was like, oh, I get it. Oh, no, we still, have, we still have 2018 Pinot back there. Yeah. I like a double magnum. That didn't turn out too good. Oh, who knows? Give it time. It'll come around. So that, I mean, like you see, it's, it's, it's a process, you know? It's, 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 it's <laughs> to work with us or to work with us? It's definitely a process. Uh, you, you know, sometimes you just like stay quiet and just watch things happen, you know? And, uh, but I think that reflects a lot in what are we doing every day, you know? Like, I mean big wineries come by the ones that we like well you not you can't do anything but keep your eyes open you know and like 
keep doing the research and uh, I don't know push projects that you look for projects that gives you passion to keep you drive uh, you know and, and keep that inspiration going and I don't know sometimes good things happen you know I think there's also uh, I mean 2020 it was kind of crucial uh, a lot of unbalance uh, uh, and 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 and, and um, crisis I would say um, but new stuff always happens right uh, uh, there's I think uh, one of the things that I've seen growing I don't know if it was there I will, uh, I'm fairly new to the wine uh, to the Oregon wine industry uh, but there's a little bit more of a spotlight for the bipods you know uh, black indigenous or color people people of color um, so that's one of the things that personally I've seen growing projects that uh, are actually doing synergy projects with restaurants that are also immigrant driven or like POC driven uh, and that's something that I was not aware that it was happening, but there's a little bit more of a interest. Uh, so, I mean, that's something that I've seen growing positively on this 2020 that I think it's going to be great because it's just going to give a little bit more of presence that it's always been there, you know, like of the immigrant, of the BIPOC, that because they are the ones who work the fields, you know, like, I mean, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that's something that has changed a lot, at least this year, you know. Uh, What about for yourselves and for the shop? What do you see as you look ahead in the future for, for each of you and, and for and for Vino Veritas as it grows? I think we're going to keep the shop open for like six to nine months of the year and travel for three to six months of oh, the other time. Wait. And we just got to gather all goodies from around the world. He runs a European model, you know, and still has that. So like. yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, I'll see you in three months. Peace out. I mean, it's something. Uh, that's the whole thing, you know. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and being honest, like, for us Western people, thinking a little bit about like, why can't we do something like that, you know? And like, getting that influence from the immigrant, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Why do you do that? And, and, and having the 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 okay i guess it's important to take vacations you know like why don't i have to then we're doing then research bigger questions happen you know like that you can take home you know it's like and then i'm stuck here <laughs> <laughs> but we also get paid right because we're doing all research so you guys we want to have paid vacation for three uh, months um uh no no i mean this is a joke but it will be really fun in reality too sorry but we can talk about other options <laughs> That's just option. <laughs> That's just plan G. <laughs> plan G. Huh? <laughs> Let's call it plan G. Nah, I think um, we've had the same goal since we opened up is to grow this wine bar into something that is important to us and important to our community. And we want to just be the best possible wine bar that we can be. Um, you know, of course, we're not looking for riches and, you know, massive expansion. That's not what we want to do, but we definitely want to grow and, you know, be recognized as a really good wine bar in Portland. I think that's our number one goal. But actually, to getting back about it, I feel like experience is so funny because before COVID hit, we we're about to like, I was talking to some people and I was about to launch um, trips to the Valley. And I felt like people were really interested, you know, like going out to the box and like offering everything that goes with wine. And like down the road, yeah, I mean, you can like gather up like a bunch of regulars and you can do such trips even to a different extent. But like all of that is unfortunately put on hold. But 
if you have the support, if you have the people around you, we can grow any direction we want to. I think right now it's just really important to like work with what we have going on right here. You can't really look elsewhere right now. So that doesn't necessarily make me sad. If it's just that's important right now for us, for the business, for everybody. So um, yeah, one step at a time. Right now the goal is to survive. Yeah, okay. That's that's right. yeah. Um, but you know, we're, we want to flourish and continue yes. growing. Yeah, it's successful. It's, it's, I, I think this is a topic of turning turn resilience, right? Uh, the, the, the laws of uh, evolution says that not the strongest one will survive, but the one that uh, uh, adapts the best, right? So that's why we have this thing over here. Um, I mean, I don't know, we, I've changed things myself. Like, I'm usually not that, like, just doing this kind of stuff. Like, I'm very introvert. Uh, it's kind of weird, but hey, you got to do it, you got to do it, you know? We, and we, we would, actually we got a lot of exposition this last uh, couple of months like uh, I don't know I think we're growing a lot but we're trying to definitely not lose the side of like offering quality right mm -hmm. but yeah I think mm -hmm. we got a lot of cool exposure this last couple months and write-ups uh, and magazines and stuff like that I mean we won the the Portland uh, Willamette Week uh, wine bar of the wine wine of the year for two years straight. Best right? wine bar, yeah. Uh, 18, 17, 17, 18. And 18, 19, and 2020, we became second place, but we were first 2021 again. There you go. See, oh, now it's always getting back on that. Thanks. I had the time. No, yeah. I mean, the fact that you, you reach out, I don't know how you got to. <laughs> hear about us but that's the, that the, the proof is in the pudding right like I mean somehow you got to hear about us and like I don't know we are we're really <laughs> grateful that you, you're over here you know like I mean sure thanks in advance yeah thanks in advance man <laughs> listen to us it's cool well, that sounded slightly cocky <laughs> confident yeah. it sounds cocky yeah wow <laughs> What's all the questions that I have for you guys today? Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything you want to mention here at the end that we didn't talk about? Mm. Mm, I think that, well, on my side, I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm good here too, right. yeah. Well, thank you all so much for, for having us here, for, for sharing your stories and, mm -hmm. and, and your kind of philosophies on this place and uh, for uh, the great interview. And we're going to let you off the hook. Cool. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.